This is Paid It Black. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Pave It Black, the official podcast of the National Asphalt Pavement Association. My name is Richard Willis. And I'm Brett Williams. And this season, we're really talking about opportunities. Most of the season is going to focus on internal opportunities within the asphalt industry. But today, we're going to slightly focus on something different, outside opportunities. So when we look at where we're at as an industry and some of the current constraints, such as low bid or prescriptive specifications, How does a company strategically look for new opportunities to grow, get better, or find new markets? So to help us with this discussion today, we've asked Jeannie Rinkob from Storybook Marketing and Coaching to come be a part of the podcast. Welcome to the podcast, Jeannie. Thank you so much to be here. This is really exciting. So Jeannie, when when I think about the asphalt industry, marketing and strategy aren't typically what I think of initially. So I was curious, maybe if you could share a little bit about your background and how you got to where you are today and maybe why you decided to focus on this industry. Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to. I actually come from a third generation road construction family business. So I grew up in asphalt. I grew up playing on the equipment, climbing rock, you know, all the aggregate piles on job sites all that kind of stuff. And I was really, really blessed to get to work in my family's business on every level, inside and out, starting obviously cleaning the office and stuff like that. But later on, I mean, I did traffic control, I did flagging, I did the rollers, and eventually I spent most of my time in sales, which I kind of laugh because I feel like we always called it marketing. But as I grew up and I went to college, and kind of got into some other industries and had other experiences, I felt like it was really more sales than it was marketing. But I had a passion for the marketing too, and kind of where those two intersected together. But I think the biggest thing that I loved about the industry is I got to grow up in it. Yeah. But what I love about it is it's so pivotal to our economy. And also it was full of incredible mentors. I had people that watched me grow up, but even now there are people that I call in this industry, even if I need advice outside of this, they've been to my children's baby showers. They were at my graduation, all of those kinds of things. And there are people that helped me really kind of become who I was as a person. So I'm pretty passionate about the quality of people but not just that, I think the work that this industry does is so, so important. And it's really critical to our economy and keeping things moving and keeping people safe and letting us to kind of continue to develop as a, as a country and as an economy and all those things. So I think whenever I get to work in something like this, it's really incredible. And my passion is really in that sales and the relationships and the people So I worked for my family business for a while. My dad passed away unexpectedly. And then my mom now, who was a dental hygienist by trade, actually ran the business by herself longer than she did with my dad. So we've had some great people kind of come up along beside us and support us through these years. And I went and did a stint with Coke Industries and their performance roads and pavement solutions, Vans Brothers. So I got some opportunities to work for some really incredible companies. And kind of learn from them, you know, the market-based management that Charles Koch developed and so many of those things. Then also went and did a stint in agriculture. 
My husband grew up in ag and we had an agricultural commodities business that we built and sold. And that was a really great experience for me too. But I think I spend a lot of time talking to people about marketing and sales, but I think it's it's hard to define that. Those are confusing things. And they're confusing things once you really dive into how are you going to apply to your business effectively? And that's where I found that I loved helping business owners and leaders. Let's just start with how does your job even work? It's a non-typical type of position, especially in this industry, but it definitely provides opportunities to improve businesses in significant ways. Do companies seek you out? Do you seek them out? How do you get pulled into the process? It goes both ways. Typically, a lot of times I'm just referred by people that, you know, hey, you, this gal helped me with this problem that I was having. And so a lot of it's referrals based, but I definitely come into contact with people where, hey, I think I can add some value here. So it goes both ways. But really what it comes down to is most business owners struggle with having too many opportunities. There are so many things that we could be spending our time and our money and our resources doing, but instead we actually end up taking on projects that don't ultimately grow our business or strengthen our organizations. So the real problem that we have is identifying the highest priority tasks that are going to give us the biggest potential value and growth, and then creating a playbook, if you will, to make that your mission and not get unfocused or distracted by all those other opportunities or hurdles or problems that are going to come up. We're always going to have more things than we can actually pursue. And if we're going to succeed in the businesses that make it to the top, they're the ones that maximize their return on the energy and the investment that they're putting into things and the time their people are putting in because they know and they've identified what's going to get me the best results. So before I even talk marketing with a business, more of the work that I find that I do these days, because I would go in and do marketing with a company and then find that we really had to back up several steps because we had missed a big opportunity or not seeing a big hurdle. So almost always now when I work with somebody, we go back and we start with what I call brand strategy. And when I say that to people, they think logos, they think strictly that kind of visual marketing stuff. But brand strategy is really giving the intangible things in our business and actually placing a quantifiable value on them in order to decide where should we be allocating our resources And how are we going to pursue that so we don't get distracted and we're going to measure it? There's multiple levels. One, there's lots of models that we use to do this. One of the early filters I like to apply is based on a book by Mike Michalowicz called Fix This Next. And he uses a great visual model that's the business hierarchy of needs. So it's like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, but for businesses, you know, and really clarifying what level of your business It helps you filter through all the opportunities and hurdles you do have and finding the one that you should fix first that you're going to get the most momentum and value out of. So that's one of the early models we like to apply to the brand strategy. And it helps us figure out what other models are we going to pull in and use to help a business owner or a leader get really, really clear on where they should be investing their time. What are some of the common things that a construction company might ask you to help with and Could you maybe describe how you help companies find new opportunities or ways to improve when you're thinking about how their company is faced with tight standards and the low bid environment where they're kind of 
walled in in their situation or their market. So I'm just curious, like if you have some thoughts that you could share on that as well. Yeah. So I think a lot of times what I typically see people do is say, maybe we know we need a website, but we're not sure we need a website, what it's going to do for us. So those are a lot of the conversations lately. One of the more relevant things that's been happening is I've had people come to me and say, Hey, I'm having a really hard time recruiting talent that I want and the right people for my job. So market is really tough on that side. So that is somewhere where we can also pull back. And right now I'm doing a project where we're actually, we went and applied first the strategy models to both sides of her business and how is she going to grow it for in terms of sales, but then also how is she going to grow it in terms of recruiting people? So for her, we found that, and I think we see this a lot in construction, we almost position ourselves without intentionally doing it as more of a commodity business. And I think when you're bound by some of the things that we're stuck in, that tends to happen. But if you have somebody that's slightly on the outside that can come in and run you through some of these models, you can find ways to set yourself, if you guys are familiar with the blue ocean strategy, that's one of the, the ideas or the concepts we talk about. And the waters can get really, really bloody. We want to find the blue water. But there's different ways to do that. Even when you're bound like we are in the construction industry quite often, the people making decisions still have choices. They have choices about how well they're going to work with you. They have choices about the frequency maybe that they're going to work with you. But it's not just that. It's taking it out of maybe that and saying, well, that's capping my business. And I can't do anything else because of that. And saying, maybe that's not the mindset that you should have. So a lot of times I'm coming in and I'm challenging them and saying, of all the assets that you have, the skills that you've developed, all the things inside your business, maybe there's more than what you've seen. An example of this, and it's outside of the construction industry, but I'm thinking of a commercial insurance company inviter that was coming in and selling people packages for healthcare things for their business. And when we went through a strategy process, we actually found that they were doing an assessment to help people just identify their needs. It was a whole other business opportunity within their business. And they didn't even know they were sitting on it. And then in the future, they ended up actually splitting those two businesses off and selling one of them. So there's all kinds of things when we're inside of our business that we don't realize are going on. So maybe it could be an opportunity to create a different type of experience for the customer you're working at so that you then become that preferred provider. Maybe you're more focused on the team side of things, thinking about how you're going to develop a better team and therefore help them perform better, saving money, having cost savings on that side of it. So it's not always that outbound sales piece. It might be an inside piece where you find you actually have a hurdle. Maybe you have operational discipline that's not letting you be as efficient as you need to be, but you're not seeing it because you're really focused on a different part of your business. One you know thing I see with a lot of leaders and owners is if they have a marketing background or they have an engineering background or they have a specific background, that's what they tend to focus on in their business. That's what they want to tend to find and work on because they're comfortable there. So giving them, like I said, those intangible pieces of their business and actually being able to find a way to quantify those and make them a value. So it's very easy to see that, hey, down here low at the base level of maybe sales or marketing, 
there is an opportunity that needs to be addressed because it's the bottleneck in my business. And I just didn't want to see it because I was more comfortable somewhere else. So that's some of the early work that goes into that. But I think people are always incredibly surprised by the hurdles that they're really facing and the opportunities that are really in front of them. When you take them out of their everyday environment and you run through some models that can kind of put value on different things. You kind of mentioned earlier why you enjoy working for the construction industry, just because the value that it brings to this country and how it helps the economy and the people involved. But what really gives you the satisfaction at the end of the day as someone working with this? What do you love about your job? I'll tell a little story early on. This probably comes from when I was about eight, 10 years old, something like that. I was really lucky. I get to go with my dad on sales calls from an early age. And our business was bound in a contract business with the state and whatnot. But but those relationships that he was developing with those customers were still super pivotal to the success of our business. Having a contract didn't guarantee we had work. So I was really lucky early on to get exposed to that and get to go out and be part of that. And I remember once we were driving from Albuquerque to Grants, New Mexico. And we're driving down the road and I just say, oh my God, Pat, you know, all the things that you could do. Why this? Why is this what you do? And so, you know, I think most parents probably dread those questions, especially when they come out of left field or whatever. But my dad was great. His answer stuck with me forever. And it was, I get to be part of the backbone of our country. And he started going by on the road And he said, that guy's probably going to work right now. And maybe he's going to be providing a really great living for his family. And they have a nice home because he's able to get to work safely. And they're going to go on a vacation in their car later this year. Maybe they're going to start out on the same road. And that car right there, that might be somebody getting to the hospital safely to deliver their first baby. And that truck right there is driving groceries to the grocery store. So all the families in this community can go pick up their groceries today. And a bunch of people are going to have jobs. And that trucker has a job. And so it really kind of quantified the value of the work that we did. And I think that always stuck with me for a long time. And so for me, working with business owners, and it took me a while to kind of figure out my own thing. I'll totally readily admit for a long time, I was like, oh, I have to be a contractor then because this is the coolest, like, this is great. His answer was so good. What I realized, I kind of had to find my own bit and my own piece in this. So for me, I finally over the years figured out where I really got joy and really felt great was when I could partner with a leader or an owner or a group of stakeholders in an organization. And I knew from experience how hard it was to run a business. I mean, I got to be behind the curtains and see the years when things were not good. And you don't know if you're going to make it to the next year. And every time something comes up for bid, the anxiety of, if we don't get this, what happens? So being able to partner with leaders and business owners to help them develop their businesses to be healthier, to be stronger, to be more profitable... I feel like this is a huge gift. Like that, if that's something where I can go in and help somebody, because business owners and leaders of organizations, those key stakeholders, those are heroes in our country. They are the risk takers. They put so much on the line. So to be able to partner with them and give them that much more confidence and reassurance about making those decisions every day, they're making critical decisions, decisions that impact 
the work that they do that impact their ability to solve problems for people, all about solving people's problems, whether it's repairing a road or building a new road. Or a lot of the time early on, I was doing work, I was going out and helping people find the right product to put on their road, all that stuff. If we don't have the ability and the security in our business for it to operate, we can't solve those problems. We can't hire people and provide jobs. We can't be thinking about safety and all of those key things. So if I can help them do that better with more confidence, they can support their team better. They can solve problems better. They can be more innovative. And they can focus on why they started the business in the first place. So for me, that's the biggest win. So let's say I'm a business owner and I'm fairly happy. I have a fairly static strategy, but it's working for me. My market is getting me what I need. I have a good workload. The company operations are going pretty smoothly. What would you say to an owner about how marketing or how improving some strategies could really help move the company forward or help the company in that situation? Yeah. First off, I have to admit, I don't know that I've met a lot of business owners. They're probably wake up every morning and say, I'm totally content. I think it's part of... And I can totally relate to this. I grew up in three generations of entrepreneurs on both sides of my family. And I tell people, honestly, it's like, it's like a genetic disorder or something that we have. Like we just can't help it. My husband and I laugh about that a lot. Like we're kind of just predisposed <laughs> to this. And there are times in our businesses and, and stuff like that where we think we're crazy. I wish I didn't have this disease. But I don't think a lot of business owners wake up feeling that way. And most business owners, I think especially in an industry like this, there's so much investment that goes into it. And there's people's livelihoods that are at stake. You don't wake up any morning without a certain level of anxiety about what could go wrong. So I think there's always that. I think for most people, we're always working on so many things. Like your marketing department wants to do something. Your salesperson has a new idea or a training they want to go to every other week. Your operations folks got new ideas about how they want to do stuff or they have problems or your crews and your plant managers are frustrated with your salespeople because they're not communicating information and scheduling is a disaster. All of those things, right? They always have problems in their business. Even if their business is maybe, it seems like it's doing well. First off, they probably would like to be more profitable. I mean, nobody's going to say no to that. But they probably also just like to have less problems that they feel like there's got to be a better way to do this and a better solution. So I think doing kind of a strategic evaluation of your company and finding ways to make it operate smoother, there's never a reason that we shouldn't do that, right? We all take care of, we're supposed to eat healthy, we're supposed to exercise regularly. You take your car to the shop for regular maintenance and our businesses really need that too. But our businesses don't just need regular maintenance, they also need to evolve because if we don't evolve, what happens? we become obscure or we just become obsolete. And most business owners I know, they're not just thinking about today. They're thinking about what happens 20 years down the road when I'm not able to continue to run this business. Is it a family legacy business? And how am I going to maneuver that? Is it something that I want to be able to build and sell? Do I want to bring it to a partner? Besides the day-to-day, -day, it's the what's going to happen with everything I've built. What's going to happen if something happens to me that all these people that depend on me for their livelihoods 
are still going to be able to come here and show up and work tomorrow or all the obligations I have to produce work, is somebody going to be able to fulfill those? So that can be definitely a big thing. If we go back to that business hierarchy of needs, um, the very bottom level of that is sales and marketing. So that's the fundamental, that's the oxygen that your business needs to survive. When you get to the top, that's legacy. And that's how is the business going to transition? Or is it going to be liquidated? Like those are all options, but those are concerns I think that people have too. So Everybody's situation is unique, but their concerns and their problems are quite wide and varied. Interesting when you go through a process like this, what they find is what they thought they were worried about probably isn't what their business actually needs them to get focused on in order to get where they want to be. Do you have any like maybe not so common experiences or things that maybe isn't your normal day-to-day type of work experience that like is interesting or maybe would be outside of what people would commonly think in terms of what you do to help businesses? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I get into messaging with folks and stuff like that. But I think when you go back to kind of analyzing folks on their kind of getting to that strategy piece, one of the things and one of the models that we talk about is a clock model. And I think this is kind of a unique way for people to think about their business. And it's something that whenever I'm in a session with folks, and it's one of the models that I pull out most of the time, because I kind of use my knowledge, my experience to gauge where are we going to go? What tools are we going to pull out to apply to their business as we go? But this is one that usually makes the cut for me. It's the clock model. And it's thinking about your business. So it's around, we don't have the visual aid right now, but if you imagine your customer in the middle, They're in the very middle. And there's three ways that they can experience your company if you look around. So pre-purchase, purchase, purchase, and post-purchase are those three main categories of touch points. So I think one of the things people are surprised about when we tend to work together is I think of marketing and sales as pre-purchase, but I tend to find, and I'm happy to push people in that direction, that a lot of their opportunities are actually more in the purchase and the post-purchase experience. And the experience that we can give people in those categories actually can be leveraged in pre-purchase. So pre-purchase would be like your website, your marketing, your sales team. Purchase would be what is the actual experience like when you're solving that problem, you're providing your product, you're paving the road for them. What is that experience? Are you easy to work with? Do you communicate effectively? All of those kinds of things. Post-purchase would be, how do you support them on the backside? What's your customer service like? How do you solve problems when things don't go smoothly? And we're living in a culture now where people want and expect more of the post-purchase. And that's not typically been historically how it's been. But I'm finding that we can get more leverage and that stuff that happens back there, that can be almost recycled and repurposed for the front side for that pre-purchase. So I think people get surprised about that and they get really excited about the opportunities to direct their company in those directions. Because what I tell people is you need to do all three of these, but they can't all be 33.3%. Like pick where you're going to be known. Are you going to be known for being really strong in the experience of actually paving that road? or following up. And I think in our industry, people don't think they need marketing as much because there's so much is important on that. And it is, but figure out what is going to be the thing that you're known for, because you can't be known for everything. 
and helping them get really clear on what are the cues and things that they need to focus on to really become known for that. And you may find that when you get known for something great, then it translates into the forward facing, the marketing. And what you do is you share that story. You start sharing the story of how you created incredible experiences, either while you were paving that road, if you're a contractor, or while you were supporting that contractor, if you're a B2B business, you just start sharing those stories. That's such really powerful when you're trying to recruit. Like we mentioned earlier, right now we're in an environment where getting and holding talent is tough. And they love those stories and they're much more genuine than paying for just ad spend or stuff like that a lot of times too. And if you're going to do ads, being more authentic with your stories these days is so much more relevant, but it helps you figure out how am I going to get those? and How am I going to actually create them in my business in a way that really aligns with who we are as a business? That's the path that I kind of wanted to go down for a minute is just people. It is something that most of our members and people in the construction industry are just struggling to get good quality workers who will come in and do the job and stick around. What are some of those low-hanging fruit or opportunities that we may just be overlooking or missing to potentially get out there and pull more people into a great industry to work for? This is such an important question. One of the great experiences about growing up in this industry and growing up as a daughter of a family that owned business is the people that worked for us. Those people were our friends. I mean, those were the people that when my dad passed away, those were the people that kept us going. And I'm really, really proud to say that I mentioned, I've shared with you guys that my mom ended up running this business by herself and she was a dental hygienist. She did the books, she did all that stuff. But my dad, came from a construction company. He had that background. And when he passed away unexpectedly, we realized how great our team was. And they came alongside us. And we've had historically very, very low turnover. And that's something I always admired my mom for how she could build that culture. But I think the problems that we're facing right now, it's tougher. It is so much tougher. And it's not just about attracting them. It's about retaining them. Because we live in a time where people tend to switch jobs more often. And information is more transparent. It's easier for them to get a feel for what it's like to be in that position. I mean, people think about marketing and sales. Marketing has a lot to do with attracting a team too, because you're sharing what the experience is going to be like for them once they're in there. And you do that by sharing the stories of maybe the people that are in there. But one of the things we work on a lot is we actually create messaging We work on the strategy. We incorporate hiring into strategy if this is something where business wants to focus and needs to focus. You know, where are you going to find them? Another question about the clock model. Are you focused on recruiting great talent or are you focused on keeping good talent? And what about that onboarding experience? Like if you were talking about clients, that's the purchase experience or clients that has, but what about the onboarding? And a lot of business owners don't know this. I mean, I geek out on business books and I geek out on continuing to be educated on this. Business owners, a lot of times are too busy to do that. That's why I come in and you get to borrow and use my expertise and my experience and the fact that this is what I do. My job is to study this stuff and filter it for people. Creating an onboarding experience, people don't realize how much that's going to impact keeping those people down the road. So a really great example is first off, when you're trying to recruit, You need to think about messaging and you need to think about their story, their problem. Your employee is the hero 
And you're the guide that's going to help them be the hero in their own story. Because every single day they wake up and they want to be the hero of their own story. They don't want to go work for a hero. They want to be a hero. How can you make them the hero in their own story? Because that's the life everybody wants to live. And so figuring that out and then creating messaging around that is important. But another really tangible tip, if you know that you're getting some people and you want that onboarding experience to be really great so that they can last and they can actually get traction and succeed in your culture, is think about that first week. When they go home Friday night and they have dinner with their family, what do you want them to say? But inevitably, they get asked that question, how was your week at this new job? What do you think? Did you make the right choice? What do you want them to say? You want them to say, this is so much better than I thought it was going to be. I think I've found a place I'm going to stay forever and I can make huge contributions here. And the people are amazing, right? Those are the things, but how are you going to get them to say it? You have to very strategically start there and then work backwards. You have to actually build that week for them. What are they going to need to happen in that first week or that first month? whatever it takes for your business. So for that laydown operator, that maybe you're hiring for that, but do they have experience? Do they not have experience? Who are they going to need to meet and build a relationship with so they get support? Is it a new sales team member? Who do they need to meet on your team to get support? How are you going to build it up? A lot of times what we traditionally do is we hire somebody and we think, yeah, you are so talented. We're really excited, but I've got several fires burning over here. We slap them on the back and say, great, I'll catch you for lunch Friday afternoon, right? And they're already going, uh, I made a mistake. So if we're going to go through all the work of recruiting great talent, we have to figure out how we're going to actually let them succeed. And how are we going to set them up for success? So that's one thing that we've used in companies is really trying to create an experience in that first week or two weeks, whatever it is for each position and each type of business to really set them up for success. So that deals with more of the onboarding piece and there's strategies and actual techniques you can implement at all the different levels. But that would be just one example of one is engineer, really engineer what that could look like so that when they go home or they talk to their friends at the bar on Friday night, they're like, this is so amazing. And guess what they're going to do next? They're going to recommend another great person. So this question might be a little off the wall, but I've been reading some of the articles that you've been working on with Asphalt Pavement Magazine. I was kind of curious about how you came up with the visual of your business is like an airplane. I know the articles get into some of the details of that, but I was just curious kind of where that originated from. I think a couple of different places. I grew up in a family of pilots. So my mom was a pilot, my dad was a pilot, my oldest brother was a pilot, my grandfather was a pilot. So always kind of been around planes. So I think it really resonated with me. And another group that I study consistently with, and I'm also certified through is StoryBrand. And the owner of that company is Donald Miller. And they have used that analogy So I kind of borrow from that analogy because it resonated so much with me. And like, even though I've been around aircraft, most people have flown on a plane and we all think in our heads about how do they make this giant heavy thing fly? Like it all seems like this engineering miracle to all of us. And so I think actually relating that directly to business just worked and it clicked. So definitely some slight modifications for kind of my nuances and my experience I've definitely borrowed some from an analogy that I've heard him use as well. 
and kind of tweak some things. And then also was able to directly correlate to like the business hierarchy of needs pyramid and stuff like that, because I think those kind of directly relate. If you can't get lift, it just doesn't matter. You got to have the cells for your company to be able to breathe. But all of those things really have to work to get your company to get more altitude and to go further. You have to be always looking for where do I need to do repairs? Where do I need to spend my time? And we only have so many resources, be it our time, our team's time, the money we put into stuff. And in my experience, business owners get so busy and we don't spend enough time figuring out where are we going to get the maximum return for the effort that we're going to put in or the resources we're going to apply. Another crazy question. So I grew up in a farming family and you brought up working in agriculture and your experience in the construction industry. I was curious if you had similarities between those two industries or things that you think are common ties between them. Yeah, this is a great question. So actually, these are the two industries that I basically pursue now. And I do most of my work in these two industries based on that. So when my husband and I met, I think I mentioned Coke Industries. They'd been a supplier for my family's business. And then I also worked for them as well for several years. And they were a supplier and a customer in his business that he was already buying into at the time. And so that kind of was my first experience of like, wow, this is a really small world that we live in. But definitely over the years, as I kind of got to experience that industry for a while, there was a lot of correlation. I think culturally, we have a lot of similarities, hard work blue collar, I mean, gritty getting stuff done and really two essential industries. All the things that I've mentioned that I really love about our industry, how it's essential, it builds our economy. Agriculture is exactly the same. So fundamental to feeding the world and very interrelated in terms of just our roads, get the fertilizer to the fields. They get those crops to where they need to go to. It's all directly interrelated. And there are some companies that actually play in both industries a lot. So there's that. They're also seasonal. So there's a lot of seasonality challenges. So a lot of the businesses I'm dealing with is, hey, you can reduce a lot of risk in your business if you can look at that seasonality question, right? And that's a question that we've dived into in a lot of my strategy sessions is how can we eliminate the pain of being so seasonally dependent? That's something that's in common as well. So I think there's so many similarities to those industries. And I kind of fell into the ag thing by accident, not intention. (laughs) But it's been a blessing to kind of be able to compare those two industries side by side. I got one more question. I know that you are experienced in the world of podcasts, and I was just going to give you the opportunity if you wanted to tell us a little bit about some of the ones that you've been involved with running in the past. Yeah, absolutely. So I did a little stint when we sold our commodities business and we were looking at making a move and stuff like that. We have three kids right now. They are seven, nine, and 11. So this was about five years ago. So they were much younger. And I had a lot of mom friends and I joined an organization called Mops through our church. And it was really, really helpful in terms of me just surviving those years because I was working too. And it was crazy. You just don't know how hard that role of a parent's going to be until you're in it. So I did a podcast for several years called The Mompreneur Experience. And it was really fun for me to just, I learned so much about podcasting during that time. And I made tons of just met amazing women. And even in in our industry, and I think I'd also grown up in a kind of a male dominated industry, which I'm seeing more and more 
women in it, which I love. I've been involved with women of asphalt lately and I'm on one of their, uh, their communications team. And that's been an incredible experience. And I wish that was here when I was young. Like, why didn't I think of starting that? So that was my first story into podcasting is I kind of just wanted to showcase and get to know some of those moms that were struggling with trying to start their own businesses and kind of had a little experience there. And then now I have my own podcast again that we've kind of redone. So it's for construction and agriculture. So business growth for construction and agriculture. And I'll share that link with you guys to share in your show notes as well. And they were just getting started with that, but really kind of interviewing leaders in both of those industries. And like you said, you asked a question about drawing parallels between those industries. So we do a lot of that. I've talked to one old friend about doing a podcast because they're using oil from soybean as an additive in asphalt products. And so right there, like a really cool connection on kind of the development and the the R&D side of stuff. So that's been really fun as well. And of course, I just, I love the medium. I listen to it all the time with kids. That's kind of how I can get some of my sanity back as I just turn on a podcast real quick because I'm kind of a geek. Any kind of good podcast on business or hearing stories of other business owners and stuff I love. Well, Jeannie, we appreciate you being here on the podcast and joining us today. Thank you so much for your time and thank you for the work that you do for the industry. And we'll look forward to future conversations with you. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I know we talked about, I know you had a lot of really great questions. So, I mean, if anybody, if a business owner is out there and they're like, I kind of relate, like, I feel like I don't know what to do next. I actually have a really great resource they could use to actually identify like what part of my business might have the biggest bottleneck that's in now. So it's a great tool to maybe doesn't get you all the way through to creating a playbook, but it could definitely help you say, where is that biggest bottleneck in my organization or my business? I'm happy to share that with your guests if you'd like. Yeah, that'd be great. Thank you very much. Yeah. So they can grab that at storybuilt.marketing slash assessment. And I'll share that link with you guys as well. Great. We'll make sure it's on the podcast webpage. Great. That was a really interesting conversation. I think one of the things that really struck me was when she was talking about many times businesses, when you're looking for opportunities, they're, they're looking for new things, but sometimes it's about being more focused and putting effort into things that'll give you a higher return on investment or really build the business up. And so sometimes it, it is looking internally for finding those opportunities and places to grow instead of looking externally. I think one of my main takeaways from today was that traditional thought of marketing leading to sales and changing that a little bit and thinking more in terms of how marketing can actually help with some of the workforce related areas that companies face and how marketing can actually attract that next employee to your business and bring those quality people in to really help improve the business. So I thought that was a big, big point and a good takeaway for me today. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for listening to Pave It Black. Visit asphaltpavement.org slash podcast to find more episodes, suggest a topic or guest, become a sponsor, or learn more about NAPA. Pave It Black is produced and copyrighted by the National Asphalt Pavement Association. Music by Colleague. As always, thanks to the dedicated workforce connecting diverse communities all across America. Keep on paving it black.